0: Now, what I'm going to do is micro-philosophy. Uh, wh- I've done some work with Julian, which is <coughs> very much macro-philosophy, big big questions. Uh, but what I'm going to, back to the sort of thing I did in my youth all day long, micro-philosophy, uh, just sort of discussing a tiny question. Now, I'm, I'm not going to do that because... Uh, <coughs> Uh, I, I, I got a rap in the on, on my knuckles when I was younger when I, when I did something more macro but because of lack of self confidence because uh, <coughs> I don't really have any good theory uh, about the whole field of what makes uh, your life worthwhile or things go well for you uh, that sort of thing I don't have anything like Tom's uh, Tom Hulker's uh, big five uh, so I'm going to uh, proceed in more peaceful fashion I will start out with a familiar claim oh what's sorry let's know oh. I can't That thing, the remote control. We have all right. No, okay. I mean I get the right slides yeah. here, but oh, not. I'm going to get here as well. What is that? The remote is supposed to work to the computer, so not not to this one. I can't get the first one. Sit no. up not clicking forward. Mm. That's not your first slide? No, that's the first one, yeah, but
1: it's not sharing
0: yeah. up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> not May I just move it? I, I think you're you using uh, two. Uh, uh, sorry. Oops. Here. There you go. Yeah. Okay. No. Uh, yes, okay, okay. Yeah, oh, oh, right, okay. Right. Sorry about that. Um, I will start out from a very familiar claim <coughs> from Mill's utilitarianism in chapter four where well, he says the sole evidence is it, <coughs> possible to produce that anything is desirable is that people do actually desire it uh, and of course he was ridiculed by G. A. Moore who said you know, this <coughs> embodies a fallacy so <coughs> obvious that it's quite wonderful how Mill could overlook it now this is the naturalistic fallacy now I do think uh, actually, one can make uh, a sort of that sort of deductive inference, but I'm not going to put my claim uh, <coughs> in that sort of way, and I'm not going to engage in any exegetical uh, examination of what Mill uh, might have meant. I'm just sort of putting forward related claims. <coughs> what I should be <coughs> claiming is um, to unpack this rather long sentence a bit is the nature of intrinsically desired pleasure is such that on its basis you can be certain that pleasure is intrinsically desirable for you now if you you feel a very strong pleasure you you sort of reflect on what your sort of experience you're undergoing I think you, you can't doubt that this is something which is good for you Now, uh, (coughs) that's the third part of of what I shall be arguing Uh, (coughs) but as will emerge in my presentation it's doubtful that there is a non-natural reason for you to desire pleasure intrinsically Now, some people perhaps most famously Derek Parfitt, claims that uh, something is Something is good or desirable means that uh, <coughs> there is a reason to desire it for its own sake. Uh, <coughs> a sort of reason which can't be reduced to natural facts about your desires or whatever. Is a non natural reason, is irreducible and so on. Now I should give you reasons for, for doubting that sort of claim. Uh, so those reasons will emerge but I I think support a claim that it's doubtful that there is a non-natural reason for you to desire pleasure intrinsically so if that is the case you're rationally required to deny that such a fact is entailed uh, by pleasure being intrinsically desirable for you the point is that if you if you can't rationally doubt P, but you can rationally doubt Q, then you're required to deny that P entails Q. That's a sort of negative claim I'm going to argue for What? (laughs) Now now my my slides are stuck, but... uh, (laughs) Well, I will have to... (coughs) to sort of read from, from uh, <coughs> the slides you see. Now, there is a distinction between uh, a sensory pleasure, the sort of pleasure you could feel uh, when, you, uh, when you scratch where it itches, uh, eat something sweet and so on, uh, and propositional pleasure. For instance, uh, a pleasure that you won an argument The latter kind of pleasure, the propositional uh, pleasure, involves a belief. In this case, the belief that you uh, (coughs) won the argument. In fact, uh, uh, please, that is even what philosophers call effective uh, attitude, that it implies that your belief is true. If you don't think your belief is true, you will have to say uh, (coughs) uh, that somebody is pleased because they believe that something is the case, and so on. Now some people think that sensory pleasure is a sort of propositional pleasure. Fred Feldman takes that view. I don't think that's particularly plausible. Uh, It perhaps made more plausible because uh, Feldman sort of switches between uh, talking about being pleased that and enjoyment, which I think is an entirely different sort of thing. You can't be enjoyed that something is the case as Feldman himself points out enjoyment is something uh, <coughs> which takes its object uh, as something that currently goes on you can uh, for instance enjoy a certain sensation you can enjoy that you're winning the argument and so on. Pleasure is oh, sorry enjoyment is in fact something uh, uh, different uh, which I will talk a bit more about here. I would have liked to talk a lot more about this sort of uh, psychological state, but no time for it, even though I'm doing Uh, micro-philosophy. Now, sort of, basically two different views about sensory pleasure. One is the view that sensory pleasure (laughs) is such in both of having a particular sensory quality of being pleasant or pleasurable, and so on. The other view is that uh, a sensation of pleasure is such because you have a certain attitude towards it. it could be an attitude like Feldman believes of being pleased about this sensation or liking, uh, uh, <coughs> enjoying uh, this sort of sensation. Now, uh, Parfit thinks that. Uh, liking is something different from from a desire uh, to for this uh, a desire that this sensation goes on. I think that is not plausible for the reason that if you think of why we do have these attitudes, liking sensation, disliking pain, and so on from an evolutionary point of view, it's quite likely we have them in order to avoid pains and in order to seek pleasures and so on. So uh, I think the more plausible I- I- is to sort of see it, mm, enjoyment as, as a, a, a sort of, sorry, liking, and for that matter, enjoyment as sort of desires. Now, I think that <coughs> hedonism might be true to the extent that the pleasures I've mentioned uh, sensory pleasure, being pleased that something is detailed pro- propositional pleasure and enjoyment that those are, make up our positive well-being but, but I would say that that is just the sort of experiential aspect of things going well for us there is also... <laughs> Uh, an actual aspect of, of, of uh, things going well for us, which I would, I'm sort of thinking of calling out successfully uh, exercising our autonomy. Now I shouldn't be talking much about this sort of latter aspect. Uh, this point of this slide is just to sort of locate what I'm 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 talking about in in the sort of terrain of well being which is the theme of this conference. So what I'm going to talk about is is a sort of tiny particle of well being and but not everything that uh uh what it is for things to go well for us. Uh, so that's why I don't have anything I will not presenting anything comparable to Tom her, gets Big Five. <coughs> and the topic is, more precisely, personal goodness. The state of pleasure being intrinsically good for the subject. Now, some people, including, I think, G. Moore, claim that something which is good for somebody can't be intrinsically good. But I think that's a mistake. Because intrinsic goodness means that the goodness of something derives from, somethi- from the goodness of something external to that thing. But if you make a claim that uh, <coughs> the state of feeling pleasure is good for a subject, you're not claiming that, I- I- you're not saying anything that contradict the claim that the, goodn- <coughs> the goodness comes from this relational state. Itself. I mean, there's no such thing as just a pleasure. The pleasure is always felt by the subject. And the thing, the idea is that this state, called the relational state, if you like, of somebody feeling pleasure, intrinsically has a, a certain quality of, of pleasure. Now, this sort of view is is even even compatible with sort of taking the view that the fact that something is, is intrinsically good means that it satisfies a, a certain desire, an intrinsic desire for that particular state. Uh, so, <coughs> we do have such a desire for, uh, <coughs> for pleasure, an intrinsic desire for pleasure, a, pleasure, a, a desire for pleasure for its own sake independently of anything external. Moreover, this uh, is an originally intrinsic, uh, uh, rather than a derivatively intrinsic desire, it's an in- intrinsic uh, from the beginning of its life. I mean, uh, for an example of a derivative intrinsic desire is, for instance, a familiar example is a miser's desire for money. Now, perhaps a miser desires money for its own sake. But probably he didn't desire money for its own sake from, from the beginning of, of his life, so to speak. He, he desired money because he, he thought they would, they would bring him uh, various kinds of uh, uh, things he wanted uh, <coughs> But eventually he sort of forgot about those things and, and sort of perhaps desires pleasure for its own... S- sorry, de- desires money for its own sake. Now that would be a derivative intrinsic desire, n- uh, not desiring uh, money from the beginning uh, for its own sake. Now, uh, I think that uh, an, an or- originally intrinsic desire for pleasure... Is in- incorrigible or immune to factual uh, uh, errors uh, because such a desire for pleasure involves only beliefs about pleasure that you need to have to have the con- concept of pleasure. Uh, I, d- I also believe that no, this isn't quite essential for what I'm claiming that we do acquire the concept of pleasure, concept of sensory pleasure by experiencing. Uh, various ap- episodes of, of pleasure now if, if a desire has a minimal conceptual content it can't involve any c- cognitive mistakes as long as it is a, ple- a, 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 a desire for pleasure if there is a, a mistake about the object in that sort of case it means that it is no longer a desire about pleasure Uh, uh, Well, such uh, incorrigible um, desires as a desire for pleasure are, one might say, the practical counterparts of the allegedly incorrigible beliefs about sense experience. But, as many would sort of claim, uh, there is a a difference of direction of fit of beliefs and desires beliefs being sort of aimed to fit reality whereas desires have the opposite uh, uh, fit, namely that the desire uh, the the reality is supposed to fit uh, the desires now this sort of fact means that uh, about desires means that uh, desires aren't prone to the same sort of mistakes as beliefs, they can't be false if Reality match fails to match and match your desire. That doesn't show that there's anything wrong about a desire. It shows there's something wrong about a world. Right. Now we get to the, this sort of proposal I'm, I'm going to make a positive uh, <coughs> claim I'm going to make. It is that if you have an originally in, <coughs> intrinsic desire for pleasure, then since this desire is actually incorrigible, you can be certain that uh, ple- pleasure is intrinsically desirable for you. This is the sort of my positive claim. <coughs> now, an objection to that <coughs> comes from people who believe that there are those reasons... I was talking about uh, uh, to start with, those reasons, uh, non-natural reasons, where, uh, which aren't reducible to, to uh, natural facts. If there are reasons like that, the factual incorrigibility is insufficient since it doesn't in- exclude that there is a normative, an irre- irreducibly normative, corrigibility consisting in failure to match match. And non natural or irreducible reasons for desire. So, what I'm going to do is to present briefly some, some arguments against that sort of claim. So, the first, the first argument is that now suppose somebody claims there is a desire, that there is a reason to desire pleasure for its own sake. A natural question would be what's the content of that reason? Now, this sort of reason can't refer any, to anything but the nature of pleasure. Because if it were to sort of refer to something else, it wouldn't be uh, a, a, a desire for pleasure for its, for its own sake in the narrowest sense. So the only reason, could, the only content of that reason could be that pleasure is pleasure. But that isn't a reason. If that was a reason for desire you would have a reason to desire anything because anything is, is identical to itself. <coughs> a different argument is a more general argument is that uh, the normative fact NO that there is a reason uh, to desire pleasure to desire intrinsically a particular sensation of pleasure is distinct from the natural fact Na. Now I would rather say it's not entailed by rather than distinct reasons I shan't go into. but <coughs> So there is an, a normative fact Na that there is the uh, uh, normative fact Na that there is a reason to desire uh, intrinsically a particular sensation of pleasure is uh, not entailed by the natural fact Na that the sensation is of pleasure. Yet, it's thought that NO is uh, necessitated by ANA. In every possible world, there is a reason to desire intrinsically uh, pleasure. But if NO, the normative fact, isn't entailed by the natural fact, uh, then I think it's mysterious why this conjunction, in ANA and uh, not NO, normative way, it is impossible. I mean, if it is the case that those are sort of s- separate facts, why can't there be some, some possible worlds in which Na and NO o obtains and some in which Na and not N-O obtains? And as a related epistemo- epistemological problem, uh, the truth is that if Na natural fact then N, would have uh, <coughs> would have to be known a priori, since it's necessarily true. But it isn't a conceptual truth, because if NO were entailed by or de- deducible from N.A. this would be naturalism, not non-naturalism or normative irreducibility. Irre- 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 but how can something that how can something be known a priori? by pure thinking if 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 it isn't just a matter of conceptual relationship because thinking involves sort of dealing with concepts so if there isn't a conceptual relation something is entailed by something else it's difficult to understand how you merely by sort of thinking about a proposition can sort of know that it's true but it has to be knowledge a priori, because it's knowledge not just about this world, but about every possible world. Now, the final slide, i afraid the longest one. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <coughs> it says that even if those arguments I've just put forward, A to C, aren't enough to refute conclusively the existence of a non-natural reason to desire pleasure I- intrinsically they suffice to make it rational to doubt this but when we know that we, can, that we intrinsically desire pleasure we can't rationally doubt that pleasure is intrinsically desirable for us however if we can't rationally doubt P while we can rationally doubt Q we rationally require to deny that P entails Q. That the fact that pleasure is intrinsically desirable for us entails that there is non, a, a non-natural reason for us to decide to intrinsically. Because if we don't deny that, the sort of doubt we can have for Q infects uh, our attitude, our epistemic attitude to P so that we can no longer hold it to be certain. So uh, this is my negative claim so I've made two two claims, one positive claim that we can on the basis of experience so to speak this is sort of uh, similar to what mill claims we can on the basis of experience know that something is, that pleasure is intrinsically desirable for us but because uh, <coughs> Now, arguments I've given here, we can have a rational doubt that there are those reasons. And that sort of uh, <coughs> makes us rationally required to deny that that claim is entailed by what we're certain of. So, I hope it wasn't too much... <laughs> too unpleasant.